right, all right. Well, good morning, California. Good day, Bible Belt. Good evening, Tokyo. Wherever you're at, welcome to Sparkast. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tyler McKenzie. I'm the lead pastor at Northeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's my honor to host today. Uh, we all know that ministry is incredibly challenging, especially the last couple of years. And so uh, trying to remain healthy and resilient as a church leader is uh, it's just been a difficult task. So that's why Spirecast exists. Spire wants to provide you with the resources to equip you to lead out of a place of wholeness. And also want to give you some practical ministry tips to help you meet the challenge of this cultural moment that we're all facing. So that is why twice a month we are doing this. We're bringing you an opportunity to uh, hear from a leading expert and giving you a chance to ask some questions. Already have had some questions texted in. You can put questions in the comments if you've got some, some live ones for our guest today. And uh, allow me to introduce her without further ado. Today, we're going to be talking with Tara Beth Leach. And uh, we're going to be hearing from her about her book uh, called Radiant Church. Uh, Tara Beth is pastor at uh, the Christ Church of Oak Brook in the western suburbs of Chicago. She also previously served as the senior pastor of First Church of the Nazarene of Pasadena, Paznaz, as I've heard it's called. It's a nice, it's a nice nickname. Uh, and uh, she's also pastored in Illinois and New York. And uh, Radiant Church is in her own only book. She's also authored uh, a book called Emboldened. She's uh, written a, a devotional, 40 Days on Being a Six. For all of you Enneagram Sixes out there, I'm a three. Don't judge me. But uh, I want to welcome Tara Beth on right now. So I've been looking forward to this conversation. Hey, Tara. I, hey, Tyler. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to dig in with you. Yes. Okay. Now, and Tara Beth, based on my research, last introductory yeah. question here, my extensive Instagram research, your next biggest gig after Spirecast, of course, is preaching at your son's junior high camp. <laughs> That's right. I. <laughs> It is like the greatest invitation I could ever have. And and by that, I mean, like, I had to ask my son permission if he would be okay with me speaking at his junior high camp. I was yes. dying this morning when I looked on your Instagram. Okay, so, and, and, and he gave you, like, a top six list of things you yes. don't do at speaking at his camp. That's correct. Okay, th this is my favorite one. Yes. And I just want you to riff on this because I know you're yeah. already probably thinking about yeah. your sermon. This was this was rule number six. Start sermon off with fun questions. Play a game. It has to be fun. Not all caps, not Simon says, maybe do a pie in the face. Yes. Is that where we're going? Yes. He said he said halfway through the sermon, just or the beginning, just start playing a game, do a pie in the face. Um, he, and he was very detailed. And I think my favorite moment was when he said, well, first of all, don't do TikTok dances. Don't talk about TikTok. Um, he said, don't don't get up there and say this is exactly how you did it. He said, don't get up there and say, yo, 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 everyone. He said, I can't do that. Uh, and then he said, and don't talk about me. Like he said, mom, don't get up there and give a sermon illustration about how my son hit the baseball so far. And that is how far the love of God is. He said, don't do that. So he's taken all my best sermon material away from me. I have found that when you're talking with the youth, if you use the definite article, the, like the TikTok, yeah. the YouTube lands real well. So, okay. So I'm going to do that. There you go. Let's talk Radiant Church. Um, yes. 
straight off the top, great book. Everybody go buy it today. Read it. Um, read it with your leadership team at your church. Read it with your elder board. Read it with your top level volunteers. Um, starting off at the very top of the introduction, you give this uh, quotation, and I, I couldn't agree with it more, but I, I want to hear, hear your, your heart on this. Um, so you say an emphasis on numbers uh, as the golden metric for success can become unhealthy, especially when we pursue success at the expense of faithfulness or appearance at the expense of authentic community. That's so rich. So just tell us, tell us a little more about why numbers can be so unhealthy for a pastor's soul. Yeah. Well, so I wrote that for myself, Tyler. Uh, when I wrote that, I was pastoring um, Paznes, a church where a lot of people left because of my gender. And I can remember on Sunday mornings, you know, before getting up to preach, doing what some of us do as pastors, we turn around to look and we keep looking and we see how full is a sanctuary. And, you know, and, and a lot of people, in, you know, in the church where you we're aware of the amount of people that had left um, over the gender issue. And so at the time it was very real and it was very raw for me because also simultaneously, we were seeing incredible fruit happen in the life of the congregation. We were seeing the fruit of faithfulness. We were seeing the fruit of service. We were seeing the fruit of those who were standing with the marginalized. We were seeing just so much beautiful, goodness happen. And yet what everybody wanted to talk about was numbers. And a lot of this is because we have been shaped by this vision of, of, of the good life within the church, um, uh, where we celebrate numbers. We celebrate the pastors who grow churches quickly. And, um, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, numbers are a helpful metric. I don't think we should throw it out. I look at numbers every week. I think it's helpful for us to understand. I think it's really helpful for us to have good, good metrics. Um, but numbers don't tell the only story. You know, so for example, one of the things that we are talking about at Christ Church constantly is uh, we just had a meeting about this yesterday. Um, when people come, um, it's not just about butts in the seat, but um, are they growing? Are they serving? Are they engaging? And for us growing is, are they in a group where they are serving in the community, where they're bearing witness to a triune God? And so what ends up happening is, especially coming out of COVID, numbers numbers are, are volatile right now. I mean, it's, it's up, it's down. You know, I think so many pastors, Easter Sunday comes around and we're like, oh, they all came back at once. And then the next Sunday, it was like, we're back down to 60%. Yeah. And so, and I think that can be really, really crushing on the soul of a pastor. But furthermore, it does, it only tells a piece of the story. And then what it does to us, you know, to our, for, to it, it crushes our ecclesiology when, when uh, numbers becomes the, the golden crown. Um, because what we end up doing is we end up ordering, um, our way of, of doing this thing, this beautiful thing that we call church um, in, in a way where we might forfeit faithfulness uh, for success. Um, and it and, and furthermore, it just the, the volatility of it, I think it's just not good for the pastor's soul um, mm -hmm. and know, for I, the congregation. 
I think that some of the ugly trends that has uh, that have stained the church's public witness aren't necessarily only connected to the golden calf of growth, but but they're directly connected to it. Like all the institutional cover-ups and moral failures that we're seeing hit the headlines from, you know, what's going on with the SBC to Robbie Zacharias to Jerry Falwell Jr., whatever. Um, the culture of competition, the resistance to social justice, you know, it's just one after the other. And like you said, the slow burnout of the the pastor's soul. I, I want to hear you talk just a little more about that. You talked about how it can be soul crushing when you were sitting there in the front row and you turned around and you looked behind you and there's about half as many people there as you would have liked, or that used to be there. What are some of those negative self-talk, you know, just some of that, those negative messages that are going through your brain that you know are not of God, but are there and and how do you how do you fight those off before you step up to preach or or pastor the yeah. congregation yeah that's really good tyler and i i tend to be really vulnerable on this stuff um, because i think it hopefully helps give other pastors permission to name what they're going through um but to be totally honest i would turn around and think i'm wrecking this church mm. uh, i'm wrecking this church uh, i really carried a mantle for so long that was not mine to carry um, meaning I was so afraid because I was the first uh, female pastor of a mega church in my tribe. I was so afraid that I was going to screw it up for everyone else. And I carried just shame and guilt that we lost so many people because of my gender. And, um, and so I, my, my worth was so wrapped up in who was there in Sunday mornings and who was it and whether or not I could work harder or work hard enough or prove myself to turn it around. And so all of that like would propel just this, this workaholism in me. Um, I, I was constantly striving. I was, was working, working a lot of hours um, and forsaking my family um was struggling with emotional presence at home because the numbers was thrusting me into this space of 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 overworking to try to turn it around striving to turn it around proving myself to turn it around um and so you know one of the things that was i mean and so you asked like how did i get up to preach well you know S sunday mornings for me is um i do believe you know, so much in, in the presence and the power of the spirit that is available in that moment. Yeah. And so, so when I preach, I so deeply believe to my bones that I am accessing a presence and a power um, that is truly flowing. Uh, and so I would have those thoughts on a Sunday morning, but they would be fleeting. You know, I would have moments to try to center myself beforehand. I you know, and eventually I stopped turning around, by the way. Yeah, I stopped turning around and looking. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I eventually did cut through all of that, all of those thoughts with, with years of therapy, spiritual direction, uh, friends, and turning the narrative, which today I don't believe I wrecked that church. Um, and today I don't carry the shame and guilt. Uh, today I, I recognize God was doing a different work that we could have never imagined um, or dreamed. And that was that was through a lot of support of pastors. 
of, of therapy and friends. And so um, by the grace of God, I thank God for what God did do uh, during my time in Pasadena. The pastoral, like the burnout attrition rate right now is very concerning. Um, yeah. It just makes me wonder what would the attrition rate be or would it be as high right now among clergy if we measured success primarily by pastoral care, faithful preaching, just faithfulness in general rather than performance metrics. But let, let me yep. bounce to the to, to the book here. Um, in, in chapter five of the book, I love this. You talk about how we often try attracting our neighbors to the church through glitz and glamour in a worship service. It's that old school invest and invite sort of mindset. Like, you know, let's get them to the service though. And let's let the pastor evangelize them and the moving lights and the Jesus smoke and all the things, right? A lot of times we choose that, you point out, rather than the stunningness of just a transformed life. So what practices would you encourage pastors to prioritize in both their own personal lives and in discipling their people so we don't get distracted by the demands of ministry and we don't miss being good news ourselves to our neighbors. Yeah. Presence and proximity is so important. Presence in our neighborhood, um, proximity to people. Um, you know, and I know so many of us pastors are talking about this all the time, so this is not new, but we, we busy our people mm -hmm. with a lot of programs. <laughs> and so with a lot of stuff, and so when the invitation then comes for them to be with people in their neighborhood, they're tapped. They're, they're tired because they've been so busy doing the programs. And so one of the things that we have got to start doing as pastors is, is modeling that, modeling that presence um, in the neighborhoods, modeling presence with the people around us, the presence um, with, with leadership in our communities, with, with coaches and schools. And so, um, because Christians have, we've got to be in close proximity uh, with the people in our neighborhoods, with the people in our schools, because, you know, evangelism, which I know in some work spaces has become a little bit of a dirty word. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, maybe for good reason in some ways, because we over time reduced it to a cognitive proposition where we just want to hit people over the head, um, give them a track or just, just you know, um, tell them to come to us. But um, evangelism, you know, what we see in scripture is we're sent ones. We're sent ones to go into all of the world and to bear witness. And this happens with boots on the ground in our neighborhoods, in our relationship, in family rooms, around the baseball fields, at dinner room tables, um, in the classrooms, um, with real people and real lives, with real stories. And so, you know, one of the ways that pastors can do this is not only modeling, but talking about it. Um, be really open about your friends outside of the church, because sometimes the only friends that pastors have are other pastors or people in the church. And start talking about it, people that you rub shoulders with, because I think that can be an imagine, imagination shaper for our people and uh, give our people permission. I, I love that. So the two most evangelistic things I felt like I've done last five years of my life is uh, join a gym. Yes. And not like the one, like the Y or like a big box gym where you can be anonymous, but like group class gym um, and coach little league. 
Yes. Seriously, like those are the two really? most evangelistic yeah. things. That, and, yes. you know, the conversations that happen, the spiritual care that I can give people outside the church, folks who come to church now because of it. Um, oh, and of course, there's food, eat. Like you can yeah. add that in there. Yes. Those are, yes. That's the third most evangelistic thing. Just eat yes. a lot and send a lot of food to people. But yes. I, I love that's that is okay. So let me ask you this on that. This is a follow up I have because you said present and proximity. How do you see social media playing in all this? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so I think social media does have a place. Um, I think that Christians have a unique opportunity to show an alternative way. So, you know, there's it's it's so interesting the way that pastors, you know, we, we have these different social media worlds. Twitter is where all the prophets come alive and where the pastors say things. <laughs> where it's, right. it's where we, we tweet things that we know our congregations aren't going to see, right? Exactly. Like, that's Your church ain't on Twitter, but right. Facebook now. Yes, Watch but Facebook, out. like you post something and man, like, it doesn't matter if you say like, my hair is green. Sometimes be like, is it really green? Because I think it might actually be purple. And you I know, hate, I mean, it's just. I hate people who talk about hair all the time. I know, like, it's such a lightning rod issue. Like, let's stop talking about hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, and so I think that pastors and Christians have the opportunity to carve out an alternative way of engaging difficult conversations. And so uh, unfortunately, what we see with a lot of Christians is is um, a lot of, of uh, engaging in difficult conversations and unhealthy and polarizing and toxic and really violent ways. That's right. Uh, really, really violent language. And so I think that social media is an opportunity for Christians to bear witness to an alternative way of engaging. Yeah. I think what happens if you allow social media to become an addiction, like so many people have, and you get sucked yeah. into it and it's, it's chopping up your attention span and stealing all your spare moments. I think you start focusing a lot of your influence and attention on things that you have so very little influence over like yeah. geopolitics and the January 6th hearings and what Kim Kardashian did yesterday, you know, whatever, right. Yeah. Instead of spending the majority of your influence on things, you, you've got a lot of influence over like your right. neighbor or your kids or your the people who are in your church. And um, I've been on a, so I, I'm one of those people I've been off of social media almost entirely since last September. And I don't want to be off forever. Everybody's like, oh, so you're just going to be off forever. Are you one of those? Are you are you like a digital desert father, Tyler? No, but I'm going to come back. But it's been really healthy to reorient that part of, of my mindset. Yeah. I, I yeah. encourage Ash a lot of time. Just take a little fast. Seriously, take a oh, little yeah. fast. I, your heart and mind. Oh, Tyler, say yes. Um, fasting from social media is a regular practice. I don't announce it when I do. Um it, it, and it's so funny when I don't post for long periods of time, people will text me, are you okay? Are you uh -huh. okay? Yeah. Um, and I will say like, I've been weary with social media. Um, I used to be a lot more active, um, but it, you know, it comes and goes. And, I, and a lot of that is paying attention to my soul. Um, and I had to learn the really hard way when I was lead pastoring in Southern California, Tyler, I, it almost became like, really, we started to believe that it was a tool of the enemy to sabotage mm -hmm. my soul because every vacation I went on, um, someone was writing an open letter, um, 
against me or, you know, just doing something really outlandish. Like, and I'd be in vacation, all of a sudden this would pop up in my, my newsfeed and it just would ruin the day. And so I had to make a decision that when, um, when I was on vacation, like if I wanted to post a, a vacation picture, I would post it and then walk away. And really that's becoming more and more of my practice um is is i sh if i share something i share it and then i mostly walk away because it can be so harsh and damaging to the soul of a pastor well to any christian really that's good advice so speaking of those heavy issues i want to ask one of the questions that was texted um to us um and it sounds like it's someone who lives in your neck of the woods in Chicago. However, these issues are intersecting in all in pretty much every urban area. Like a lot of these issues, I can look at the city of Louisville where I minister and say, check, 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 check. So here was the question that came in. Just respond here. Um, uh, the, the person wrote, in the midst of political issues on migration, violence, homicide, suicide, anxiety, gun control, uh, how can the migrant church be a radiant witness in our community in Chicago? So how, how do we be a radiant witness in the midst of all that? Yeah. You know, one of the challenge, well, one of the concerns that I've had as a pastor and, and what really drove me to write radiant church was the ways that Christians were engaging these issues um, from a way where we were just, com we've, we've completely entangled ourselves in either right-wing politics or left-wing politics mm -hmm. and the two are just reacting against the other and one of the concerns i have in just this way that we have so enmeshed ourselves and entangled ourselves is is this this deep-seated belief that the kingdom of god is going to be enacted either through the republican party or through the democratic party or through a president or through the government. And so what we've done with these issues like gun control and immigration and violence is they've gotten boxed up in um, uh, uh, either, you know, the Republican party, we talk about it in one way or the Democratic party, we talk about it in another way. And we, we don't know how to talk about it outside of these boxes in a way that is detached and rooted in scripture. Um, you know, one party over the other doesn't have, um, doesn't own, uh, if you will, the, the theological vision uh, for how we are to engage these things. And so we've got to detach ourselves and learn how to talk about these ways um, that isn't married or that isn't enmeshed with one side or the other. And Christians have got to start showing an alternative path. And so, you know, one of the reasons I wrote Radiant Church is a longing to see the church show an alternative way of living, show an alternative way of engaging, show an alternative way of moving towards these issues, not moving away. Um, and, you know, it's, it is a big problem that if we talk about gun violence or immigration or um, a lot of these lists that she, she talked about, they're very real issues impacting very real people that Christians have got to be engaged in. We've got to be having these conversations. We've got to be working it out with fear and trembling. And the problem is, is a lot of people uh, within earshot or within our congregations, when we start to talk about it, what do we hear? Why can't we just talk about Jesus? Why do we got to get so political? Yeah. Well, when we talk about Jesus, Jesus propels us, impels us, compels us to move towards 
the issues of this day, the church is to bear witness of an alternative way. And so, so we've got to talk about these things. When we talk about Jesus, Jesus compels us to move towards those things. And so, so one of the things that we've got to help our people with um, in these conversations is help them see that the gospel compels us towards these conversations and that we are actually talking about Jesus when we talk about gun violence, that we actually are talking about Jesus um, when we're talking about immigration. Um, because we see Jesus doing exactly, we see Jesus moving towards so many of the issues of the day. And what does he do? He calls them to the way of peace. He calls them to the way of love. He calls them to the way of mercy. He calls them to the way of carrying the cross. And so turn off Fox News, turn off CNN, turn off MSNBC. Um, here's the best thing that that I think we can do um, as Christians is, is read read the news get the headlines get, get get informed and turn off talk radio turn off talk news um because i think that we have been we have become malformed um in our thinking in the way that we engage these issues um and we are um weaponizing these issues against one another and we're not seeing mm -hmm. any progress whereas christians should be on the front lines of this conversation not fox news not cnn not msnbc and so how can we be a radiant witness? Um, it is it is through engaging and not disengaging, but um, engaging in a way that shows an alternative way and an alternative vernacular even. You know, one of the things I challenge people in our church to do when I feel like they may have been uh, be, become captive to politicization or polarization, I say, this is what I want you to do for a week. Instead of doing your quiet time, I actually want you to get on the news. I want you to get on, um, you know, the One America Net Network's website. I want you to get on Fox News website, CNN's website, and MSNBC's website. And I, I want you to compare the headlines. Write down the top 10 headlines in each one of them. Write them down in your journal. And uh, and I, I just want you to, to contemplate what, what you see there. Because here's what you'll see. You will see that each news outlet uh, dramatically curates the news. Some of them are talking about this and some of them aren't talking about that. And some of them spin it this way. It is always curated and it's always catastrophized in, a, in the way that that political outlet leans. And they're pastoring our people. And, they, and that disciples you. So if you live in one of those ecosystems for too long, how are you going to think about the world, right? And I have found that to be incredibly fruitful. A lot of people are like, you know what? I used to read just this or watch just this, you know, uh, the, the news news channel or this newspaper, or whatever, every single day. And and I'm trying to diversify a little bit more. And I'm also trying to get my nose out of that and into the third way of Jesus. However, I might be able to do that. Yes. So I yes. love that. Okay, we're getting close to the end of our time. There's one last question that I want to ask, and I thought it was the best question on here. Uh, so uh, would love to hear your two cents on this. What encouragement would you give a pastor or a church leader listening right now who might be struggling and just not feeling very radiant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, come out of hiding. Uh, so many pastors are in hiding in their pain and their doubts and their fears. And 
the power of being known in those can be life-saving and can be a lifeline. And what I mean by that is come out of hiding and, and get into therapy, spiritual director, surround yourself with the tribe of other pastors who are going through the same things you are. Uh, one of the things that I did when I was in California is I w was part of a, a pastor's gathering. There was just three of us and we called it Monday morning pastors triage. <laughs> and so triage and it was pastors from it was lead pastors from other large churches in the area and we would just get together we would cry we would pray for one another we would talk about life we would talk about family and we held one another up and i always knew that when when monday came around when when i before i would you know get all depressed say about numbers or giving or whatever it was that that would come my way on monday um, after being exhausted i knew that i had pastors that i could talk to and that I would leave feeling encouraged and lifted. So come out of hiding. Don't do this alone. Yeah. Yes, and amen. All right. Well, Tara, thank you so much for, for having time me with me today, with Spirecast, with our tribe. Restoration Movement Churches are awesome. I know you got friends who are a part of our tribe. We we're talking about that earlier. So uh, that on your staff. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah. I have officially dubbed you a part of our tribe. I can't really do I that. Love it. I don't know who can do that because we, we're, we're the denomination of non. So there's really nobody in charge. But I'm dubbing you as a part of our tribe after today. And I love uh, it. Appreciate your book love and it. your public witness. Thank the you. public witness that you as a pastor and as a church leader are, uh, are bringing to this cultural moment. So uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.